This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 1079 of Horse Tip Daily, your almost everyday morsel of helpful, entertaining horsey facts, theories, and advice. Brought to you today by EquestrianCollections.com. Greetings, horse people. Coach Jen here, and thanks for tuning in to Horse Tip Daily. Today's tip is from Dr. Tanya Cubitt from Performance Horse Nutrition. On her previous visits, Dr. Cubitt explained the role of proteins and carbohydrates in your horse's diet. This time, it's all about vitamins and minerals. And we'll get right to our tip after this shopping tip from EquestrianCollections.com. Hi, Glenn, back with you, and I am with Debbie from Equestrian Collections with the product of the week. And boy, you're getting colorful now. Yes, well, you know, it's Easter time, coming up to Easter time, and if you like Easter eggs, I have the breeches for you. That's pretty true. The Tough Rider Neon Breeches. They are in a knee patch, um, you know, the knee patch type of breech, and they come in some way cool colors. They come in peach, they come in a slate blue, they come in, get this, lime green, and they come in a very pretty fuchsia kind of pink. Um, They are absolutely something you won't find anywhere these days. People are going to snap these up and love them. Now, you probably aren't going to be riding on the A circuit with them. (laughs) No. (laughs) But you know what? On trail rides, they're very comfortable. Hey, hey, eventers will pick these up to match their colors. And let me tell you, I think you're understating it. These are neon. (laughs) These are bright. (laughs) Yes, they are. Um, They do run a little on the small side, so keep that. There is a size chart here. But be aware that they, um, although they are 8% spandex, um, they are not quite as stretchy as, um, as some. So when you're, when you're, be sure that if you're, it goes by your waist size, but if you're on the cusp, uh, go a little, a size up instead of a size down with these. Um, but they are just going to be, you're going to love them. Absolutely. And, you know, I, every spring I look for something that's kind of reminds me of Easter eggs. Sometimes I do saddle pads or, you know, halters. But this year, these ones are perfect. So happy Easter. Get on www.equestriancollections.com. Just put the word neon in there and go to town. <laughs> And back with me this afternoon is Dr. Tanya Cubitt from Performance Horse Nutrition, who stops by on a monthly basis at Horses in the Morning to explain to us nutritional topics. What have you got for us this month, Dr. Tanya Cubitt? Oh, well, firstly, let me say I am so excited that spring is on its way and it's getting warmer. But we're going to talk about vitamins and minerals uh, because we see them, we hear about them, they're on the feed tag, but what do I need to know, Uh, where are they coming from, that kind of thing. And first I thought we'd start out with vitamins because there are less vitamins than there are minerals. We could get weighed down in in how many minerals there there are. So vitamin, see, if you had asked, said to me, which are there more of? I would have said vitamins, but I would be wrong. No, there's really not. Vitamins get broken down into two main categories, water-soluble vitamins and fat-soluble vitamins. Really, that just means fat-soluble vitamins, they can be, they are soluble in fat, so they can be absorbed into fat, and water-soluble vitamins are soluble in water. 
And water-soluble vitamins are vitamin B and vitamin C. There's only two of them. Well, that's kind of incorrect because in B vitamins, there's about eight or nine of them. But the thing that we need to realize about B vitamins is that they're synthesized in the hindgut of the horse. So if you give your horse plenty of fiber, the little bugs that are in there breaking down the fiber, they make all of those B vitamins. Um, They're important for metabolism and energy. The time that you're going to want to see B vitamins on a label is if you have, uh, say, a racehorse. Racehorses, their hindgut, their large intestine, It doesn't function the best because they eat a lot of grain, not a lot of forage because they have to exercise so heavily, um, and they're very stressed. So B vitamins, if the bacteria aren't able to do their role, they're not producing all those B vitamins, we're going to see them there. You're also going to see B vitamins a lot in a lot of your um, gut health or probiotic type supplements because, again, if the hindgut, where all those bacteria live, isn't functioning correctly, The bacteria aren't able to produce all those B vitamins, so we have to feed them to the horse. Um, But vitamin C is also a water-soluble vitamin. It's an important antioxidant. You're going to see it a lot in joint supplements because it's important for collagen development. Hmm. But again, like B vitamins, it's not a required nutrient. Um, It's not what we call essential. You'll see us as nutritionists use the term essential nutrient, what that really means if it's used correctly is that the body can't make that nutrient or element. It has to be consumed in the diet. You're going to see that around fatty acids or amino acids, but vitamin C can be derived from glucose in the body. So it's not necessary to see vitamin C in your just everyday feed. Hmm. Who knew? I didn't know what yeah. I didn't know what that whole essential meant. I thought it was because if I don't give this to my horse, he's surely going to get sick and die. <laughs> yes, no. There is a there's a few terms in equine nutrition that um, there's one correct meaning for it, but then over the over the years, other terms have cropped up. But I'm sure we'll touch on more of those as we go through the months. Fat-soluble vitamins, there's only four of those, vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E, and vitamin K. I think most of us are familiar with vitamin A and vitamin E being pretty important. Vitamin D comes from the sun, and vitamin K is from mus- uh, for, be able to, for your blood to clot. Um, the one thing that I want to make a point about fat-soluble vitamins, water-soluble vitamins, they're not stored anywhere. They're synthesized, they're used and then whatever's not used just goes out in the urine or manure. But fat-soluble vitamins, because they're soluble in fat, they get absorbed into the horse's fat. So it's much, much easier to actually um, get too many fat-soluble vitamins, and we call this hypervitaminosis. Um, If your horse, say you've got a performance horse, and he needs more vitamin E and vitamin A, Um, you need to make sure that you're feeding more fat in your diet because if the horse doesn't have a lot of fat, he's actually not going to be able to absorb a lot of these fat-soluble vitamins. So again, also in a rescue horse that's really, really thin, one of the things that we worry about is these fat-soluble vitamin deficiencies because even if he was getting them, he wasn't, he's not able to absorb them very well. Interesting. So this is yet yet another reason to not just toss supplements at your horse willy-nilly. 
Exactly, exactly. Because a lot of times this vitamin A, D, E, and K will be in your commercial concentrate. So if you start adding a lot of extras, then you can have issues with these ones. Let's start with vitamin A. Important for vision, bone growth, reproduction, and immune system. It's also very prevalent in green leafy forages. So if your horse has access to green grass, he gets a lot of vitamin A. And you think, well, in the wintertime, he doesn't eat a lot of green grass. He's eating a lot of stored shedded forage, which I know is lower in vitamin A, but he was able to store it in his fat. So that's kind of an evolutionary way that the horse can keep utilizing and keep having enough vitamin A throughout the wintertime is they store it in their fat. Vitamin D, it's for very important for calcium and phosphorus absorption and bone development, but it's not required if your horse gets plenty of access to the sun or if you feed hay that was cured in the sun, which all hay is, sun-cured hay in the leaves has a lot of vitamin D. Vitamin E, it's really important for reproduction, muscle function, blood flow, nervous system, immune system, but again, very high in green leafy, veg- green leafy forages. Vitamin K, important for blood clotting and is available in green plants, but it's also uh, synthesized by the microbes in the large intestine, just like that vitamin B. So if a horse has a compromised digestive system, could that conceivably interfere with the vitamin K production? Could. Yes, could do. So if you had a really thin horse or a really stressed horse and um, he seemed to be bleeding a lot, um, if he got a cut and he just wasn't um, healing up, then you could definitely look at vitamin K deficiency. Now, we do have some people that feed their racehorses supplements high in vitamin K for those horses that are bleeders, so they'll actually bleed out their nose, um, thinking that the vitamin K will help with blood clotting, but it actually isn't that effective for um, these horses that have this bleeding issue. I didn't think that was going to be an effective way to do it. It's not, yeah. it's not like adding extra flour to the chicken stock to thicken up. It doesn't work no, that way. No, not no. that simple. Not no. that simple. It would be easy if it was, but no. And another thing is uh, these vitamins, either water-soluble or fat-soluble, if they're in your feed, they aren't lost if the feed is heated. So a lot of our feeds are going to be, um, you know, steamed or put through pressure. These vitamins aren't going to be lost uh, through that short amount of heat or pressure that we put on those grains to to make that pellet or or steam flake the corn, for example. Interesting. So they're, they're reasonably stable. They are, yes. Good to know. So we've got fat-soluble, we've got water-soluble. We need them both, and we need them in the right amounts. Got it. Yes. So let's now move to minerals. Um, and I, whenever I give my presentations, I kind of list out the nutrients horses need, need. And I always start out, you know, we've got carbohydrates and protein and water and fiber and then vitamins, minerals. And people say, well, maybe they don't need them that much. No, they're really, really important, critical in fact, but they're needed in much smaller quantities because they're much more potent than our other ingredients. 
um, minerals actually get broken down into two major categories, macro minerals and micro minerals. Now, your macro minerals are minerals that are needed in larger levels in the body. These are things like calcium, phosphorus, magnesium, potassium, sodium, chloride, and sulfur. Now, we need those in quite large amounts. Well, you, it makes sense. Things like calcium and phosphorus are really important for quality bone. And, you know, there's a lot of bone in your body. So when it comes to your microminerals, they are also termed trace minerals. Most of our listeners probably have heard the term trace minerals before they've heard microminerals. These are things like cobalt, copper, iodine, iron, manganese, selenium, and zinc. Now, there are a few other minerals that I didn't list in those two groups that are also minerals of interest, um, chromium, fluorine, and silicon. Chromium is getting a little bit more interesting to people because it's involved in glucose and insulin metabolism. So people with metabolic horses are starting to supplement with chromium and thinking that it might help with this impaired glucose and insulin function. Fluorine is important for bone and teeth. And silicon, we're starting to see a little bit more research in silicon, especially for uh, putting it in growth supplements or joint supplements because it's really important for bone development, bone growth, connective tissue, cartilage, and hyaluronic acid. Now, hyaluronic acid is the kind of lubrication in those joints. So there are three minerals that um, we don't have necessarily a required amount for them, but they're getting a little bit more attention in research. Wow, they're it's so that they're they're still discovering what all of these minerals do for the animal at this point. It's not a case Absolutely. of we know it all. Yeah. Wow. Chromium is definitely there's a lot more research done in human nutrition uh, about its importance, and a lot of times horses horse research is the last to pick up on a lot of this new stuff. So we take a lot of what we've learned in humans and try and extrapolate it to horses. And if we think there might be something there, then we'll go ahead and do some research in it. So, so yeah, are there, these are ones of interest. Are there any of these uh, minerals that, okay, you really need to not give your horse too much of X, Y, or Z because you're going to cause them a serious issue? Absolutely. Now, the first one that pops to mind is selenium. While selenium is absolutely critical for immune function, reproduction, lots of different things, the problem with selenium is the signs of deficiency and the signs of toxicity are exactly the same. Oh, dear. That makes it tough. Falls out. Oh, I know. It's terrible. Hair falls out. They get really photosensitive. Um, I've had some people say, oh, the coronet band of my horse is bleeding. Um, and that can be a deficiency in selenium. Yeah. So that's a, that's a big one. We also know that there are certain, uh, iron. Iron is prevalent and it's in abundance in green um like we get it from green leafy vegetables or meat. Horses don't eat meat. So there's a lot of it in grass already, grasses and hays. Uh, and there had been some question for a while about, well, these metabolic horses shouldn't have extra iron. We shouldn't be feeding them a lot of extra iron because iron can too much iron can interfere with the uptake of some other minerals. And so there's just been some research recently on 
um, iron and, and whether it is dangerous for extra iron, is, is it dangerous for these metabolic causes? And it seems that we don't necessarily want a lot of added extra iron for these metabolic causes. But iron is critical to a certain amount for um, oxygen carrying capacity in blood and blood formation. So whilst both of those are really critical, the, if you get too much, it can be dangerous. Um, other things like calcium and phosphorus, we know they need to be in a nice balance. They kind of work together. People have probably heard that before, and we usually go with a two-to-one ratio. But always just make sure you don't have more phosphorus than calcium. And that's, again, where tossing supplements or mixing and matching yeah. different uh, formulated feeds can get you into some mis- mischief. It, it really can because, for me, when I get um, a diet, I'll have a customer call me and say, you know, these are all the things I'm feeding. Can you run the diet for me? Is there too much or too little of this or that in my diet? It could take me a couple of hours to go through three or four supplements. How much are they getting out of it? Then they've got the feed. Then they've got the hay. Then they've got the pasture. It can take me a while to kind of add it all out, up and work it all out. So especially when you're just willy-nilly adding supplements, it can be detrimental, definitely. And there is a lot of competition between minerals um, for absorption, kind of like if you get too much iron, you can block the absorption of some of these other ones. Um, so you've got to be careful. I, I'm really glad that you brought that up. You have to be very careful about just adding supplements willy-nilly. Cause yeah, because they, they can interfere with each other. Well, you mentioned selenium and the fact that they can't mm. have too much selenium, but they also need just enough selenium. And a a popular ingredient I'm seeing nowadays is something they call selenium yeast. So what form the minerals come in makes a difference, doesn't it? It absolutely does. So let's go back to horses in the wild. I always go back to that because that's kind of, they were doing fine and then we come along. So let's go back (laughs) to how they were doing fine. Horses, this is my thing. Horses are designed to eat plants not rocks. In the wild, horses graze on plants that have grown in soil. Where do minerals come from? Minerals are all rocks. They're in the soil. So the plants grow in the soil. They absorb the minerals. Horse eats plant with the minerals in there. And those minerals are in what we call their organic form. Not that we're not spraying pesticides or anything on it. In their plant form or organic form. So that's very that's a little confusing as a consumer because yes. in this case organic means very, something very very different than you would see on an item in a grocery store that says so organic. much so much now we're getting bombarded with is it certified organic you know and that's really coming down to were pesticides used on the on the crops if it's a crop or um, if it's milk uh, were the cows given drugs or whatever and so that is a totally different use of the term organic. Remember, I I mentioned last month there are different terms that carry different meanings. When I'm using the term organic aligning with these minerals, I'm really using the, go back to high school, biology in its organic form. Um, You asked the question about selenium, and that's a really good one. So we know that um, what we've done is 
taken horses off just living out in the wild. We're feeding them grains. We know that that's not very balanced for minerals. So we know minerals come out of the ground. We dig the dirt. We refine the different minerals and we were sprinkling that on the feeds in proportions that we knew would balance the diet and calling it good. But the horse isn't very good at absorbing these rock-type minerals because he wasn't meant to eat dirt. <laughs> so the selenium, the selenium, what we do is we take that sodium selenite, which is the rock-type out of the ground form of selenium, and we grow the most tiny plant known, which is yeast, on that rock-type selenium. The the yeast absorbs the selenium and then we feed that yeast, which is highly fortified with that selenium, to the horse. It's called selenium yeast and that is a much safer way to feed selenium to the horse. It has a much longer retention time. So if you look at graphs where they feed selenium yeast to young baby horses, if you feed the same amount of the rock-type selenium versus the same amount of the selenium yeast, you have much higher quantities of the selenium yeast, of selenium in the blood when you feed selenium yeast. And so I can feed less of it and I know it's a lot safer and it's going to stay in the system longer and it's not just going to go out in the manure pile. It's not quite the same with other minerals. You've probably heard the word chelation. Yeah, keel what the heck does just that mean, mean anyway? I know, another one of those confusing ones. Keel just means to claw, to grab onto. So... When the horse absorbs, eats those rock-type minerals, those minerals can't just float across the intestinal wall. They have to be attached to something to allow them to transfer across the intestinal wall and get into the blood system so they can be used. So keel just means to claw, to grab onto. Grab onto what? When it comes to minerals with horses, it's combined with an amino acid, so a tiny, tiny protein, um, and they form complexes, and that's going to allow much easier transfer across the intestinal wall. So your chelated minerals are more available for use by the horse. There's much more absorption of these chelated minerals. So chelated is good. Yes. Okay. We like to that. see chelated. So yeah. if I say if I see an ingredient listed as chelated, that means it's the organic or rock form and it's been attached to something else so that the horse can absorb it better. Yes. Shoo. Typically, it's going to be proteins. So another, it's not that simple that you'll look at the tag and I'll say chelated copper. But what you'll see is copper proteinate or copper amino acid complex. Um, so, and that will lead you to believe that it won't be chelated so copper. So proteinate means it's a Chelated, chelated form, yes. Chelated it means form. that that copper has been attached to a protein, and so it's going to more easily transfer across the intestine. Now, a chelated mineral can be attached to a protein, as we yes. as protein A. Can it be attached to other things? Obviously, yeast. Typically, it's proteins, little amino acids. Some companies do try and use different things, but more, most common, it's going to be amino acids, little tiny proteins. There we go. Now, does it make differ- make a difference as far as how well the horse can absorb it and how effective it is, what protein that is? Does it matter? No. Um, companies have really come up with the right proteins, and so I don't question their carrier. Between different companies that sell these ingredients, they will certainly say, They'll well, 
my carrier is better than your carrier. But really, (laughs) the take-home is chelated minerals are better than rock-type minerals. So it's going to always have either that chelated word or something it's going to, or before it. Protein-related. Protein-related. Got it. How interesting is that? It is. It's very interesting. It's one of those new technologies. And what it does, it's, it's enabling us to feed less grain feed less concentrate because the concentrate that you're feeding is more available to the horse so a lot of times when you see feeds that have these technologies the selenium yeast the chelated minerals maybe it's got some other probiotics in it the feeding rates of these feeds are going to be lower because they're just more usable by the horse there we go and if you've got a horse that's a hard keeper that's a good thing because feeding him less quantity while still getting all the nutrient values he needs is a good thing. Yeah. Yes, it is. Replace that five pounds of grain with two pounds of grain and an extra three pounds of hay. Yes. Yay! Anytime we can feed more hay, it's just better. It's just... <laughs> horses are designed to eat far- forage. It's just better. It's just like homemade chocolate chip cookies. They're just better. Just better. Than the yes. store-bought kind. Yes. I have a 13-month-old son, and you hear in all the parenting books, you know, everybody tries to avoid just because I said so. No, it's just because I said so. Forage is just better. (laughs) (laughs) And that is from Dr. Tanya Cubitt, scientist and new mom. (laughs) Yes. Now, there are a couple of myths that I want to touch on before we finish on minerals. Um, I get asked a lot of times about trace mineral salt blocks or free choice minerals. Yeah, the red block or the white block. Exactly, exactly. And with the trace mineral salt block, it's really the issue with both of these. But if we look at the trace mineral salt block first, if you look at the little tag and the guaranteed analysis, they're going to be between 95 and 99% salt. And so that leaves me about 1% to 5% room in that thing to put the other minerals that I need. Um, Typically it's red because it's got a lot of iron in it and molasses to make it palatable. We don't need a lot of iron because the horses eat the green grass, which gives them iron um, and the molasses typically just makes them want to eat it more. So we cannot rely on horses eating enough of that trace mineral salt block to get all of the nutrients they need. It's the same complaint I have with free choice minerals. So now it's not in a block. It's just a tub with loose salt and minerals in there. And they can lick and chew away on that as much as they want. There has been studies to show that horses, only when they're not exercising, can regulate accurately the amount of salt they need, so the sodium and chloride portion. They cannot regulate the amount of selenium, manganese, copper, zinc they need. I did have a woman in Florida once. She took me into her barn and she showed me in the stall and she had little tubs bolted all around the stall and in each one of them she had individual minerals. Some copper in here, some zinc in here, some selenium in there, all the way around. She'd gone to great lengths to make sure that he had all the different minerals. And she was determined that her horse would select what he didn't need, what he needed, and not what he didn't need. Well, have you ever heard of animals eating antifreeze? It will kill them, but it's sweet, so they like to eat it. The horse was selecting the, the minerals that were sweeter or had a better taste. Uh, you go around and lick them, and some taste terrible. 
So horses, I know we think they're smart, but they just cannot regulate the amount of minerals that they actually need. Well, I guess, um, I guess if we go back to that horses in the wild scenario, horses in mm-hmm. the wild weren't endurance horses. Horses in the wild didn't race. Horses in the wild no. did not. So their lifestyle was very different. So their ability and their to regulate... Yeah, span was also shorter. They lived right. about six to twelve years. And yeah, so their yeah. consumption of minerals kind of matched their lifestyle. And it, it sounds like um, genetically, and their hard wiring is still designed to consume minerals voluntarily on a basis of I don't work for a living. I hang out, eat grass, sleep with my friends, and occasionally run mm-hmm. away from a mountain lion. So that kind of exactly. makes sense and the way you put it. Yeah. When horses were grazing in the wild, they were roaming over miles and miles and miles. So if you're able to cut all the grass and just take that top layer of soil off and look at all the different soil types, as you go over miles and miles and miles, the soil type changes. And when the soil type changes, the mineral content changes. So when they were grazing over miles and miles, they were getting a lot of different minerals in the grasses. But our horses are confined to a small area. So there you go. another issue. Fascinating stuff. So if you are cooking for your horse, willy-nilly tossing various and sundry supplements at him, or mixing fortified feeds or feeding the an amount of fortified feed that the label doesn't recommend, in other words, way more than the label recommends or a lot less than the label recommends, how would you, is there a way to know if your horse's minerals are way out of balance? For example, are there are there health issues that are going to crop up or are there tests that your veterinarian can do to nail this stuff down and and wave a a result in your face and say, you need to stop doing that. Well, a lot of times they're not going to get that deficient that their hair falls out or their, you know, feet fall off, but it's going to be just, you know, the hair coat's not looking the best. The hoof quality isn't great. Um, And so we have some people and I may have some callers call in and scream at me for this, but Some people like to do hair tests to evaluate mineral content. Hmm. My problem with hair tests is I have medium to long hair. It took a long time to grow that. And a lot of people take the hair from the end. Well, that's my hair from a year ago or six months ago. So it doesn't give you an accurate evaluation of what's going on right now. So I don't rely on hair analysis for a good, is my horse division in, say, copper or zinc. Some people will do blood tests. Now, just because it's floating around in the blood doesn't necessarily mean that your horse has enough. It could still be deficient because um, minerals are going to be used by different organs. The best way to test whether your horse has uh, got enough mineral content is to do a liver biopsy, but you're not going to do that. Average horse owners are not going to do a liver biopsy. So your best bet is feed according to the directions on the back. If you're feeding less, get in touch with a nutritionist, have them balance a diet for you. Some feed companies will also help balance a diet for you. They'll have, we have computer programs. We can plug in what you're feeding and it will give us exactly what you're giving your horse and compare it to the recommended amount the horse should be getting of each of the minerals. And we can just black and white show you where there's deficiencies or excesses. Um, but 
people. I I went to school for oh, ten years, pretty much doing a master's and PhD. It seemed to take long that long, and there is still so much I don't know, and I'm learning every day. So when I have clients that are trying to balance diets on their own and I'm just going to feed a, a grain and add my own minerals, it can be very, very confusing. So I do recommend that you try and talk with an expert. So it sounds like particularly in the minerals family that um, too much or too little or um, off-balance ratios, it's it's going to be an insidious problem. You might not see the horse change in his health in a, in a short term, but it's insidious. And over yes. time there, there can be effects to it. So nutritionist is your friend. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we try to be We really dry. Well, thank you again for helping to take the confusion out of vitamins and minerals. And for folks whose eyes are rolling back in their head and they're pulling their hair out or gnashing their teeth right now because they're, uh, um, they're confused as all get out or that they want to know more, how can they get a hold of Dr. Tanya Cubitt? They can go on our website, Performance Horse Nutrition. Um, we have a Facebook page or my email address is tcubitt at gmail.com and I'll be more than happy to go through people's diets with them, what are their horses being fed, what hay are they feeding, and we can balance a diet for them and we can do it for your whole barn. Well, there you have it. You can find links to today's guests at horsetipdaily.com. This podcast was made possible through the generous support of equestriancollections.com and listeners like you. The Horse Radio Network and the Horse Radio Network hosts are not responsible for statements of guests or their opinions. Use your own judgment when listening to the tips provided by the experts on Horse Tip Daily.